This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What is up, Z-Pack? It's your boy, Z-Dog MD, Dr. Zubnamanya, and I've got with me the legendary, the one and only Dr. Brad Youngren, MD, Chief Medical Officer of 98.6, which is a company up in Seattle that is transforming a way of doing primary care for both clinicians and patients. We did a live show with Brad earlier and asked for your questions. We toured this cool facility. We did all this fun stuff. And we said, give us your questions and we'll go deeper in it. But I want to go back, Brad, and ask you, what is 98.6 and how does this work with primary care? Because it it's not intuitive in a way that uh, many doctors will grok right away. Yeah, I'm sure. We're, so we're providing virtual text-based primary care across the entire country 24-7 of every day. So we drive through text-based and we can transition to video if we need to. Patients can submit photos, um, but it's uh, text-based delivery of care overlaid with an AI platform on top of it. And why do this? I mean, isn't primary care enough? Can people come to the office, they want to be seen by a doctor, right? Well, primary care is in crisis. We we're, we have a shortage of at least 20,000 primary care providers in the US, U.S. health system. So patients don't have access to care. So we want to increase access, lower cost for patients. Uh, and the best way to do that is to really leverage technology to achieve that. But are you giving worse care then? Are you compromising in some way? Because I think a lot of primary care docs will be like, well, no, I mean, they need to see me in person. And also I can't bill for it unless they see me in person. And yeah. so on. No, I mean, like we don't, well, we don't bill insurance for one. So we're essentially a- I'm already a fan. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. a subscription-based model. So that allows uh, patients to utilize the service when they feel they have a need instead of considering whether or not they have a deductible or are they need to make a financial trade-off between some other thing they're thinking they need to spend the money on that week. So we're driving good engagement with patients. And the only way you can really do that is lower the cost to the point through technology that allows for uh, significant engagement with the primary care service. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that. And so and from the quality perspective, um, you know, we hire our physicians. They're all full-time employees here at 98.6. They're helping build the system and helping create the technology uh, with the technologists here. Um, so that's completely different than anything you'd find in the market. So they're helping build, because ultimately what they're doing is they're helping build the AI to help the, the uh, automated assistant understand uh, a variety of things to include what questions should you ask a patient. And so um, we care deeply about the physicians who are going to be delivering that um, service to the patients, and they're, so they're all our own. And you know, the reason I'm even here is that you guys are mission-driven to actually save medicine on some level, which is primary care, like you said, is in crisis. People are you know, suffering all this moral injury, having to practice in ways that aren't actually good for patients, aren't good for them. And so the question is, if you can improve access using technology, but then still make it medicine, mm-hmm. have it be physician driven, which is what you do. You just said you hire your docs. They're full-time employees here are fully, you know, they're licensed in all 50 states. They're part of the company. They spend several hours a week just working on projects to improve the company. So this is a physician-led thing. 
which it has to be because it's delivery of care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you're going to save a part of primary care and allow people a different career path, the first question is, does it work? So when I played with your um, software, I was a skeptic, dude. I'm going to be honest. Like, you guys were like, hey, this is what we do. I'm like, that sounds like nonsense. And then you sit down in a room and you go, oh, this is what you're doing. So patient has a chief complaint. They have 24-7 access, even though you, and this is some of this rehash. If you watch the original live show that we did, Mm -hmm. you guys, you will see what we're talking about in some more depth, okay? But to put put more points on that, if you sit in a room and you see how this works, patient is a subscriber say. So maybe the patient is paying an introductory rate of like 20 bucks a, a year to have access to you guys 24 seven. And then later the price goes up a bit, but it's still a flat subscription fee. Or they're part of a, a health plan or a health system or an employer that's getting it for their patients because they want their patients to have access, quality, and convenience 24-7, maybe keep them out of the ER, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So that's where the patients are coming from. Then they're coming to your app and they're like, I have a problem with a rash on my leg. Okay, there's the chief complaint. It shows up on your clinician dashboard. The, the docs are sitting there and there's a waiting room, but it's not really waiting. It's mm-hmm. a room full of patients that then populate. They have access to the stuff. And at that point, your bot starts asking questions. Can you explain how that works? Because I was very skeptical of this till I saw it. Right, yeah, I mean, this, you basically get on-demand access to 98.6 the second you access the app, you're in the clinic, and the automated assistant uh, starts asking you questions. So that can be anything that's on your mind. So we want patients to come in with simple questions instead of going to a search engine as an example, because sometimes, as you know as a physician, there's so much gold in that. There's so much information. If someone at two in the morning is Google searching chest or throat burning, like we wanna know that data because it's very valuable data. And sometimes patients don't always know if it is or not. So I would rather have that within the system than living outside the system. Mm. So that, acute care medicine, chronic disease management, it really doesn't matter. The patients can come in. They don't even really need to discern whether or not it's appropriate because we want all of it to come inside the walls of 98.6. Mm-hmm. It's a trusted source, it's confidential, HIPAA compliant, secure. You're going to talk to a physician after the automated assistant has collected as many questions as it deems necessary, it hands it off to a physician 100% of the time. Every time the physician will take that case and finish it up. Physicians could decide to order the labs if necessary and they'll send you to the nearest and most uh, economical choice to get a lab done and there you live. The same thing goes for prescriptions. They're gonna send you to the place uh, where you can get a prescription to pick that up. It's also gonna take into account cost there as well. Now, why text and not video? Because that's a question that came up. Yeah, I mean, if uh, we're meeting patients where they are. So one of the big problems with traditional telemedicine is engagement rates are very low. And why is that? Because patients don't particularly like video. Uh, we text in our lives, we text our friends, we text our family, we text uh, businesses now. Um, in lieu of doing video chats, because particularly we're just not as comfortable in those uh, video chats. So uh, we went with that direction because we wanted to increase engagement with our patients, and we found that to be uh, very true. Let's answer some questions. So that see, and again, I was skeptical till I saw a visit play out, till I talked to your doctors. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you get those doctors in a room to tell other doctors how this works, and they're like, okay, we get it now. Yeah, this absolutely works. Yep keeps people out of the emergency department, gives them care where they need it and when they need it. And the best part is you guys don't even, you're not even doing nights. So your docs actually have a pretty good lifestyle because they have predictable hours and the documentation is the visit. Mm -hmm. Exactly, it's beautiful. You know, over 20% of our customers on the employer space are in the healthcare space. So it's great validation 
So we have health systems that are using it as employer. So they're very discerning customers, right? And so uh, we send our docs in when we need to, to make sure they have conversations with the physicians of that health system. And that's always been to the plus, to the benefit. They Once they hear how we do it, the quality, uh, we went over those those contracts. And so Kristen Bertrand asked this specific question. I really want to know how you partner with existing health systems because it's something she works on for her organization. So mm -hmm. say you're a health system, why would they use you guys? They have primary care docs. Well, so we have a, a number of different health system relationships. Um, and really what it is for a lot of these organizations, they don't have a good front end. They don't actually have a good uh, digital primary care front end uh, to deliver care. So we can essentially give them that. And then we can also get some detailed understanding of how to uh, coordinate care within the health system to, to drive patients to the care that they need. Mm. And so we, and by understanding what resources the health system has, whether it's behavioral health as an example, we want to get the patients the, work, the care they need when something falls outside the context of what a primary care physician is comfortable with. The next step is connecting them with the subspecialist, connecting them with the behavioral health specialist. And so we can leverage technology to make that a relatively seamless endeavor for the patient. So in a way, it's like a very advanced triage process too, right? Yeah. But if you think about our resolution rate hovers around in the mid-90s, 90%, meaning our physicians resolve those cases. Um, and the reason is that we are leveraging technology to try and do as much as we can within the clinic, recognizing that we'll never be at 100%. Mm. But then when we're not able to complete and get the patient what they need, knowing how to get the patient what they need and be able to advocate for them, mm. that's a tremendous uh, portion of what we're doing here. And the great thing is you're capturing all this data so the health system now knows what these chief complaints are, what's going on. It can integrate. You can give them that data. They can yep. analyze it. Yeah, totally. which, which yep. is important. And the thing is you're not doing extra documentation because that is your documentation. That's why text can actually be an advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also good from a quality perspective because you can actually understand the conversation between the patient and the physician. The, the vast majority of the work we're doing is to make the physician's life better. Mm. I, mean, I mean, I don't particularly like documenting. AI can assist in the documentation. AI can assist in the gathering of findings. There's a bunch of opportunities for, for accelerating and sort of focusing the, the physicians on what they enjoy, which is diagnosing and treating patients. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, again, that's what I, and talking to, to Mandy Kuda, mm -hmm. I accidentally called her Amy on the show at one point because I had a small lacuna. You guys <laughs> know that when I do these shows, actually they've had done real-time blood pressure testing on me. Like my BP goes to like 220 and I feel calm. It's like an unconscious and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure I'm stroking out. <laughs> we'll, well, keep, we'll keep an eye on you. We got please a couple do. Docs You're in. an ER doc. I mean, <laughs> so let's read another one. Um, Risa Dubois, super fan Risa one of my favorite supporters, text doesn't lend itself well to effectively communicating tone and can lead to misunderstanding. How do you prevent that? Well, I mean, we use text every day in, our, in the way we communicate with our family and friends. And so that's the, uh, the foundation for the work we do. But again, uh, we review charts. The physicians are doing peer-to-peer -peer review all the time. And we we're humble in the sense that we understand we're building something new, building something different. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, we need to review charts and to understand to make sure that things aren't being missed in the context of how we deliver text-based primary care. But, yeah, I could imagine, yeah. right? Like, because you end up with an interaction where it's like when you interact with a, uh, a human being at like, say, Cox Cable or something, yeah. right? And I've done this. I'd like to cancel my service. I am happy to help you here. It's actually a human. And you end up, they're not reading your tone, they're not reading what's up, and you're getting angry, and then the text starts to get ugly. Yep. At this point, I'm threatening to throw feces. I'm like, I will make fun of you on my platform, all right? <laughs> I, so 
Are you able then to deconstruct those kind of interactions and learn from them and see what you can do better? Oh, we do that every day. And one of the things that's really important to highlight is patients come into the clinic and we ask, what brings you in today? Mm -hmm. They can write a word, a sentence, they can write a paragraph. We don't limit them. And the way we've constructed our AI is such that we don't limit them to yes or no questions. Because mm-hmm. as you know, that invalidates the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we want patients to say exactly what they want. There's so much information in there if you let the patient speak. And so we've constructed a system that's focused around the patient being heard. Well, now, Lori of Vienu, uh, so I hope I pronounced your name right, Lori. Um, do you find that your customers are mostly age 50 and under? Could you ever see it expanding to especially such as dialysis, something else like that? And uh, we had talked about this before. You have yeah. people of all ages. We do. We have people of all ages. Um, I think our oldest patient maybe in the mid-90s. We've seen patients in the mid-90s multiple times. Turns out uh, grandparents text their grandkids all the time. Nana, I'm looking at you. Okay. <laughs> that poo emoji you keep sending me, all right, it hurts. Cut it. Yeah. Just cut it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they, it's, it's a medium they're actually really comfortable with, interestingly. So we see high utilization in that age range just as much as we see in the middle age. Okay, so this is not like a millennial or a Gen Z thing. No, and there's lots of people that are uh, not, they're not mobile, they can't walk, or whatever the case may be. So having a text-based platform that they can communicate and ask questions about their own health is tremendously valuable to that segment of the population. Now, Carrie Bennett asked a question from a standpoint of, by the way, I really like this, going live early, generating all the questions from mm-hmm. people who are actually out practicing this stuff, and then getting to pitch them at you and yeah. making you sweat. <laughs> Let's make you sweat about this one. Carrie Bennett, how do you clock out from the text world? Wouldn't you get burned out even faster being so connected? So I think Carrie may misunderstand how your how your shifts work. Yeah, it's good. It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, our, our physicians are all um, members of the company, as we talked about. They have equity. They get paid on an annual salary. There's no RVUs or any motivations like that. That's what we did at Turntable uh, as well. Yeah. yeah, it's fully aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, fully align the incentives in the appropriate fashion. Uh, the other thing we did early on was we decided that because we're licensing our physicians across the country and they're an uh, integral part of the team, that they will have some time to impact the company's development. Mm-hmm. And not So every physician works on what we call here the 80-20 rule. So they work 80% clinical and 20% they work on uh, non-clinical tasks. So some work in the UXR, some work in they want to work in the AI bot space. Some want to work on recruiting. So we really try and get the physicians where they're happiest, where, they, where they're comfortable, where they want to advocate for the company, because we have work to do in all those dimensions. But what that allows is that all the physicians just love feeling like they're actually impacting the company's growth and development. They've been around since the beginning. Um, we have over 45 full-time physicians. We're anticipating being above that within the next few months. These are all full-time docs who are delivering care on the platform. So this is what they do. This is what they do. Yeah. They work for 90.6. See, to me, that was the most compelling thing is like you're creating another path. Because right now, people in primary care who tell me, look, I want to go into primary care, but I'm scared. Everyone's telling me it's a disaster and so-and-so. And I tell them, I'm like, no, 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 no. You have direct primary care options where you charge a flat fee. That's a path for you. Sure. You're working in a big health system where you have the support of teams. That's a path for you. Independent practice, much harder. It's also a path. Or something like a 98.6 where you're employed as part of an organization. You're building this thing mm-hmm. that's new. You're practicing in a totally different way that may actually be fit a better fit for your temperament. And you get to do something really uh, with all your training that is unique and right. helps the world. Well, that's what we want. We want more of those options in, in this sort of health 3.0 environment instead of just trying to shoehorn all the old options 
you know, into what, what's working. It's not working. We know it's not working. We have a shortage of primary care. We have people, you know, saying that wouldn't recommend a career to their kids, you know, trying to pay off the loans. Speaking of trying off, trying to pay off the loans, are your salaries competitive for docs? They're competitive. Yeah, they're nationally competitive. We know we have to be to get yeah. people to come on full time. Uh, and I think the fact that they get equity is a fairly unique opportunity for physicians to get equity in a company that they're building. Mm. And so that brings uh, a bunch of physicians to the table who are excited to be part of it. And that brings Jesse's Jesse Anderson's question. Are there pediatric docs in your org? We do. We have pediatricians, family medicine, internal medicine, med peds, and emergency medicine. Emergency medicine too. And yeah. so kind of like an urgent care type of vibe. Yeah, well, we wanted people uh, in the organization who understood what a 24-7 schedule is like you know, <laughs> right, and, yeah. and how that could impact because that's really what we are here. So yeah. um, that's a little bit uh, not consistent for most primary care docs. And I want to back up on one thing because I know that pediatrics, you offer for your health uh, systems and employers and right. people who are sort of purchasing your product for their, whether it's their staff or their employees or their patients. Correct. But right now, you don't necessarily offer that direct to consumer. So if you're a consumer trying to sign up for pediatrics, you can't get it just yet. Correct, yeah. yeah. That's primarily, we, we started with pediatrics, we launched it in our employer population in February of this year. So now we treat patients age one, uh, all the way up to, I guess, 96 now or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so that was a change. And uh, yeah, so we don't do a direct consumer space. We've started with the employers because we can confirm identity of the kids that way to, to make sure we can protect their medical record data. And people were asking, what about Medicare and Medicaid? Do you take those? I think that's a violation of your model. Yeah, yeah I mean, to really increase access and lower cost, you have to really move away from traditional models. So right. we, we're a subscription-based model. Either your employer's paying it for it, your health system's paying for it for you, or you're paying a subscription annual fee. But that's uh, there's no transactional cost there beyond that. And I'll be honest, I have no experience with a subscription-based model at turntable because that's what we were. Yeah. And I think it actually aligns incentives very well. Salarying doctors aligns incentives very well. Yeah. And then you can work with health systems, health plans, employers, and individual patients. So basically, you are like a text-based turntable health. Yeah, sounds like it. And now I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm going to sue uh -oh. for intellectual property. Uh, but let's uh, let's look at some more comments here. <laughs> jealous, angry, upset, also jealous. Beautiful place, by the way. You guys Thank definitely you. check out the live video Thanks. we did. Um, sounds like this could. So Veronica uh, Movedi says this sounds like it could potentially reduce the amount of nonsense coming in through ER as long as people use it appropriately. Of course. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as an ER emergency physician, certainly uh, spent 20 years kind of experiencing the changes in the practice. Uh, I'd say that my experience in clinical practice has been over the years, patients have become much more um, intelligent about their health plans and aren't coming to the ED with uh, non-urgent uh, symptoms as much as they did maybe 20 years ago. Really, like it's gotten I, better? Because because mm. of high deductible health plans that oh. they're looking for and the growth of urgent care markets. But that being said, um, it does help. Um, if you think about a health system that has a nerve helpline as an example, the threshold to send someone to an ED is pretty low. Yeah. Um, I always say that, you know, every almost every patient that I see in the ED with hypertension is a failure of the health system. Mm. Like that's an expensive failure of the health 100%. system. So yeah. we need to do better at finding ways to manage some of these chronic conditions so patients don't end up in the ER. And sometimes when all they're looking for is some guidance and, a, and some answers to questions. How, how's your data so far on how many people you are referring to ER? Uh, we end up referring about 
two to three percent of patients to the ED. And from my perspective, and this is when I'm talking to health systems, I'm like, these are the right patients. Like, yeah. you want to get the right patients to the ED when it's appropriate. When, it, when there's a physician, um, like at 90.6, evaluating and talking to the patient saying, you know what, you really do need to go in ER, you probably need to be in ER. And so from our perspective, these are wins. We want to catch, we've had patients come in who need to be in the ED because you're concerned about stroke, as an example. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's or like, uh, you I have don't chest even... pain. What do you think? You should be in the ER. Yeah. Right? Like, what if I sent you a text message uh, of this? with blood squirting out yeah. and I'm like, just FYI doc, just yeah. curious, do I put a little steroid cream on it? <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff. Do you get a, do you get a bit of that where you just start to go, uh, this should never have come here? Yeah, we've, yeah. we've advocated for patients in multiple different dimensions, calling 911, yeah. how we've figured out how to do that on a national basis. Oh, nice. again, you're in every state. We're in every state, so every state's different. You have to understand how that works and how you're gonna support patients for a variety of uh, to include emergencies. So yeah, we've, makes, we've sort of cracked that nut. Makes perfect sense. Carrie Bennett asked, how do you keep from being burned out being connected 24 seven? Yeah, well, it's the, the practice never closes. That's what makes it beautiful from the patient perspective. But again, when you have a, when you have physicians that are working 0.8 clinically. 0.8 FTE. 0.8 FTE clinically, and they don't work nights. So, and you don't work nights because you've set it up that you have, you, you, you got docs. Mm-hmm. In different area codes, <laughs> yo. So you, because you got someone in Hawaii, you got someone on the East Coast. They hand off in the time zone, so you have twenty four seven coverage without people working nights. They love it, which yeah. is dope. Yeah. So what's a typical shift uh, hour range? Uh, most of the docs work about eight hour shifts. Yep. Um, some prefer a little bit longer. We're always learning about what what makes the most sense on our platform mm-hmm. to not burn them out. Um, right. And so. And then we have a, a, a place out in Hawaii, and we physicians are doing usually two to three months stints out of there, uh, which is they love. It's kind of a it's different. It's a good model. way to not burn out. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's been a really big plus for for the physicians as they and the other thing is they have mobility they've never experienced in their careers. Had a, one of our physicians recently had a family emergency, had to go visit family, and he's like, you know what? I didn't even tell you all because. I just kept working my shifts. Like he's like, I've never had that kind of life before. Where I could just go deal with my life and still keep plugging into the ninety point six when my shifts were. Just the flexibility. Yeah, the flexibility is unique. So, so um, somebody asked, how do we sign up or learn more about this thing? Yeah, well, you can go to ninety eight point six dot com. Um, that has a bunch of information about the company some demos and videos on how the website works. And by the way, definitely check out those videos because they actually show a good flow of how the thing works. It's actually quite good. Um, and, and then also you have an app store thing, right? We do, yeah. yeah. Uh, you go down to the Android or, or the iOS app store, download 98.6. Um, if you're using direct consumer offering, you can just pay the 20 bucks. 20 bucks introductory rate Boom. for a year. You're in in seconds. I am gonna sign up actually seriously right after the show. Perfect. Be just because I think it'd be fun to use and figure out and then I can report back to y'all and be like, you know what? They told me I had gout. And what I really had was uric crystal, uric acid crystal deposition in my joints, which is also gout. But <laughs> you need to test, you need to QA these things. And uh, um, how is, you know, one, one interesting thing that I realized with text, Doctors interrupt patients on average, like every what, 11 seconds, mm-hmm. 23 seconds? Yeah, something like that. It's very hard to do, very hard to do that on text. Because <laughs> you can't, you see the little three dots like someone's typing, but you're like, I'm gonna go ahead and type anyways. That's right. the worst interruption you're gonna get. Yep. So actually in a way, the text stream is much more patient centric mm-hmm. because they can express themselves at their pace in their way. And we're not just constantly redirecting or interrupting or doing what we do. Yeah, we have a whole UX team here that's uh, user research around understanding the patient experience. How do we continue to optimize around that? How do we bring technology to the patient in a way that they 
can understand, but also enjoy. Mm. And so that's all, that's a journey in of itself, but where we have a, you know, I think our product really has the most focus both, we're able to focus both on the patient and the physician all at the same time. It's really unique in that sense. Why did you get into this, man? You were in the military and the army for 15 years. You've mm-hmm. been deployed, emergency physician. You have a groove. Yeah. Why, what, what about this compelled you? Well, when I was in the army, I found myself uh, with my first uh, involuntary vacation opportunity in Iraq as a junior emergency physician. And the Sonosite 180 was just being deployed in the battlefield. Oh, wow. So we were working on deploying that across the entire uh, battlefield. And I quickly saw this was saving lives. This new portable ultrasound technology was saving soldiers' lives. Um, and that became a focal point for me, which was, wow, digital healthcare technology, hardware devices can scale in a way that we haven't seen before that can actually impact a large, broad audience of patients. And so that really was a big turning point for me. Uh, when I got out of the Army, I went to work for a mobile ultrasound company as my first chief medical officer job. Um, it was the first uh, smartphone-enabled FDA-approved device in the country, an ultrasound probe plugged into a smartphone. And from there, I just continued working in the space, trying to bring devices and technology that increase access and lower cost, and try and help save healthcare. Oh, we need saving, my brother. Yeah, I'm just going to say. I mean, that's great. And the truth is, I think it is a combination of technology, human leadership in terms of physician leadership, clinician leadership, nurse leadership. All of those aspects are what we're going to need to build this emergent health 3.0. So I'm real freaking excited. I also want to interrupt you every 11 seconds. Is that weird? <laughs> um, so Samantha, Samantha Bolin asks, how do we interact with insurance? Mm-hmm. By the way, that was the number one question that Turntable Health got asked. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. very common. Absolutely. How do you pay for this? So uh, we're a subscription-based model. Either you're paying through a direct consumer offering or your employer or health system is paying for it, depending on the, the situation. Um, and so really the only time we're interacting with insurance is to provide ghost claims, i.e. just $0 claims, primarily to, to give those visits a marker. Um, for health systems that want to keep track of them. Right. But those are $0 claims. That's the only way that we deal with uh, claims as a, as a, from a traditional perspective. We kind of have to do the same thing, yeah, right, because yeah. they want to keep track of the data, but it's not like they're going to charge you. Right, right, exactly. So it's not a deal where you're double billing a patient and insurance or you're uh, billing insurance and a health system or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. a set, it's off the grid, disruptive, but not disruptive. So in other words, integrated with our existing system. It's mm-hmm. an ad. It's not a, we're trying to replace X. Yep. And that's an important point. No, I think there's, um, I think to really build a technology solution that's going to change healthcare, you need to operate within the existing healthcare space. To, to think that you can actually build something outside the space that will functionally change the system, it's just too big. I want to, I want to follow up with that one okay. because, okay, people, a lot of my audience are like, burn it down to the ground. Like, I want ashes and I want a beautiful tree to re-sprout from the ashes of this healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It's that broken. I'm gonna tell you guys this. I tried this. You will not be able to make it happen unless you get critical mass, like all of us together. And in the meantime, we need these kind of options where we're working within the system, maybe on its fringes a little bit, to chip away at the failures of the system until pretty soon the system blinks and you're like, oh, that's how we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is what something like this represents. That's what something like a Suki, which is another company we talked to that does a digital AI assistant for mm-hmm. people working with EMR. These are technological solutions to human 
different problems that will help transform healthcare. And it has to function within the ecosystem we have because otherwise what will happen is it will get stomped. Right. Because they, they otherwise they have no incentive to, to play ball. Yep. I mean, the goal of the company is that no one in the world should have to make a financial trade-off for primary care. To get there, you have to operate within the system to get there. Yeah. Period. I'm so, with you. Yeah. I'm with you. And that doesn't mean rolling over and saying, okay, yeah. we'll play the insurance game. Yeah. No. You can do it without playing that game. Yep. Fight the power, people. And also be the power. Because the power's awesome. I'm kidding. I wish I was the power. Do you ever want to be the power? No, I'm good. You're good? All right. <laughs> Are people really comfortable getting primary care via technology? What do your patients say? Well, we get a lot of great data from our patients, of course, um, in follow-up after visits. And, you know, there's a number of different ways we look at it. Patient reported outcomes, um, net promoter score. So yeah. our, net, our net promoter score is usually... Um, around 70-ish, I think, if I recall correctly, right up there with some of the best consumer products in the world. So Amazon is 70s. Right, exactly. And so, Net Promoter, just to explain to people who don't know, because it's a techie thing, right. how likely are you to recommend this to your family or friends, or what, what's your overall satisfaction, just one to 10? Exactly. Yeah. You do one to 10, and then there's a score between, like, I think, negative 100 to positive 100. And so we sit right there with uh, in, in, uh, sort of giants in the industry who focus on consumer um, behavior and consumer satisfaction yeah. as their paramount. So, like, we're happy with where we're at right now with that. You know where our net promoter was at our peak? What? Ninety. Oh, nice. Ninety. But because because we had people sitting there in the clinic developing these deep relationships with their health coaches and stuff. But it ultimately tapered down to in the in the mid eighties. That's uh, great. Well, yeah. it was still pretty good. Now, oh, one thing, and that reminds me, we had a lot of people with substance abuse disorders trying to get narcotics. How do you handle that via text? Well, we don't prescribe any scheduled drugs, so. Problem solved. Yeah, and what, what's interesting is we still explored ways where how can we satisfy patients and also satisfy physicians to give people things to, that they can actually prescribe patients. So one of our first forays into the digital therapeutics prescriptions was, a, we actually have a paper, our first paper was published uh, a few months ago, uh, looking at digital therapeutics and thanks. Yeah, and uh, so we were looking at cognitive behavioral therapy, which included smoking cessation, but also a pain module. So now it was a dual satisfier from the physicians who said, we can't do anything, we can't do scheduled drugs. Well, now we had something you can prescribe the patient, a cognitive behavioral therapy app. And then from the patient perspective, they were coming in saying, I'm in pain, and you weren't just saying, I can't give you anything. Deal like, with it. Right. We have some options for you and some ideas. A cognitive behavioral therapy app. Yep. See, I'm a huge fan of CBT. I think that it actually works. You know what it is? It's meditation formalized through the Western process. Yeah. It's recognizing point. feelings and thoughts and emotions and, and negative thinking mm -hmm. patterns, recognizing it for what it is, taking a pause and reframing it. And to me, that's transformative. It's hard. Yeah. You have to go work at it. Right. People want a pill. Yep. A pill is easy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a weird, it was an incredibly successful project. and That's really and, awesome. Uh, so we're really excited about what that means for our patients. That's really awesome. Yeah, thanks. How are your standards of care different or similar to traditional brick and mortar? So we have a quality and outcomes team here, a CQA meeting. Um, all of our physicians uh, undergo a 100% chart review. So that's pretty heavy lift for the first three to six months. And then we sit at about 60% of peer-to-peer -peer chart review of all the cases in the clinic. So the peer evaluation. Uh, plus, we've developed technology that can actually pull out of the visits to understand things like antibiotic stewardship around sinusitis, bronchitis. Like, so we can uh, pull out that data um, just automatically through AI technology. And so we're going to continue to build AI CQA, uh, which obviously takes a lot less time. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to continue the peer-to-peer because -peer, our goal is that every single chart gets touched in one way or another 
so we can deliver quality at the standard of care or above. I love it. That's great. And above, I mean, by above, I just mean that we are in the room of every case. So it's no longer is it the assertion of the patient or uh, the assertion of the physician as demonstrated through the note. You actually can go back to the chat transcript and see what actually the patient and the physician said to each other. Right. And that's key. And how do you, you're not utilizing video much because patients don't want it. Right. Yeah. So, but it's there. It's there. It's an option. Sometimes it's uh, certain states require it. Right. So uh, we, we use video when we need to from a regulatory perspective. Just for the intro visit to yeah. establish care. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but other than that, uh, over 99% of our patients prefer text when we ask them after their visits, hey, would you prefer to video? No one says, oh yeah, I wish we'd done that by video. Go yeah. Ahead, so. It's, which is, it's counter to what a lot of like the big telemedicine companies would have you believe, right? Well, the patients want video. They don't. Right. They don't. They want... They want to communicate on their terms, whether it's text or phone or in person, but they don't necessarily want video. Right, if you think about how much you use video in your life versus how much you use text, I mean, the market has driven it in the direction of preference. Can I tell you something, guys? Can I complain for a second? People will call me via FaceTime, expecting me to pick up on a video call. And I'm like, you don't know that I'm in my underwear 24 seven when I'm not in outside? And 34-7 when I am outside. Like, it's so intrusive to me, right. the video. And I do video for a living. So I would much rather shoot a text or get on the horn. Yep, right? totally, yeah. Because there is something about that. Because you can pace around. You, you don't have to worry about body language, but you can get some tone. But, but, but texting is a special kind of communication I think we've gotten better at. But I'm sure, like you said, you're still working out. How do you QA that? How do you make that better? Yep. How do you contribute, uh, communicate tone and those kind of things? So, Brad, how did this company start and how was it crafted with those guys coming together to say, we need to do something to save primary care? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we started, the company was first formed in 2015. And uh, CEO, Robbie Cape, is from the beginning, felt that we needed to balance the company around four muscles. So we have the technology muscle, the clinic muscle, the legal uh, regulatory muscle, and the commercial muscle. So within the first five or six hires, you could see a, a devotion to sort of filling those muscles in a balanced way. We didn't want to be all technology, another technology company coming in to solve healthcare. Yeah, certainly, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. We don't want to be all physicians who bring our traditional healthcare experience to the table. You really need a balance. And so as the company grew, um, our fifth hire was a physician. Our fourth hire was a full-time attorney because we knew the legal and regulatory environment was going to be very, very important for us to get mastery over. And so we've continued that journey from 2015 up to over 180 employees in the office. And the regulatory environment is still very antiquated when it comes to this sort of thing, right? You have to license these docs in all 50 states. Every state has its own fiefdom. Yep. It's crazy and expensive and slow and painful, and you do it for your docs. We do it for docs and we try to make it as pain, painless as possible. For them, yeah. Yeah, for the CME, for the relicensure. We have a team, I think, of 13 or 14 now that are doing this for our, our core group. You know, you supporters, uh, Facebook supporters can get CME from my show. I'm just saying, I'm not pitching anything here. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you have a CME problem, perfect. yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. I am Vanilla Ice. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all that regulatory stuff, that's a muscle, that the legal piece, the mm -hmm. clinical piece, the technology piece. I met some of your team. Right. They're coding this stuff, making it work. It's a real robust technology. Yep. When I saw your clinician console on the back end, what the clinicians see, it's pretty robust. You're watching this visit like a hawk. Yeah. And you're getting it in a way that's not overly cluttered. It's very usable. Yeah, I know we have we have a great technology team. Um, 
uh, starting from the top all the way down. You know, it's it's and it's growing tremendously. It, it's great. Rob Sweeter is our chief product officer. He spent years at Amazon Prime helping build that from the ground up. Oh, wow! Um, so he brings lots of consumer experience from him on what does the customer want. Um, so that's just I've learned incredible amount from his experience there. Damon Lanfear, our chief technology officer, has lots of experience in AI work. So that's, you know, you need that around here to build mm. what we're building. It's mm. a really hard problem we're trying to solve. And I imagine you're trying to, you're always recruiting engineers and tech people and f- physician talent. How would people reach out to 98.6.com? Yeah, go on the website, 98.6.com. We have a career section. You can see which uh, jobs we're currently hiring for. We're hiring in all those dimensions, all those muscles, really all the time. I love it. Now, again, like guys, like, look, why would I even, like, come here and do this thing? I don't like, you don't see me doing this with, like, you know, United Health or something. The reason we do this is because I actually went through this thing with a fellow doctor, and I actually think this is a great, great path to a health 3.0 vision. And so we ought to support companies and people and doctors and people who are passionate about making things better. We should give them a platform. We should share these videos and tell our friends. And if this isn't a fit for you, maybe something else is. But until we start showing the world what 3.0 can look like, the ecosystem will never change. The legacy players will always have power over us and we'll end up doing something silly like, you know, destroying our healthcare system even worse if we don't fix it from the from the ground up with physician, clinician, leadership. All right, that's my soapbox. Yep. Uh, brother, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate 98. it. 98.6, yeah, and we out. It's not a fever. I don't care what you say. 98.6 is not a fever, son. I don't care what your baseline temperature is. It's a company. We it's out. It's a company. We out. <laughs> Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.